listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in. We are currently going through a series, Joy in the Midst of Suffering. And in the past episodes, I've talked about how we can have a sense of calm and peace and joy, even in life's most difficult, challenging circumstances. Today, I want to talk about a topic I have not explored before on the podcast, and that is persecution as suffering. And I want to talk about how we, again, as we've been going through in this series, how we can have joy even in the midst of persecution. Now, persecution can come in the form of people opposing our beliefs or they can just be somebody insulting us, mistreating us in some way, sneering at us, mocking us, treating us differently because of our belief in Jesus. Maybe we've had to take a moral stand on an issue and ever since we've done that, that maybe we've been treated in a certain way. Maybe once someone discovers that we're a Christian, that they avoid us in the workplace or if they talk about us behind our back or maybe we're just not given the same benefits or privileges as other people because we're seen as being different whatever the case I can't think of anything that is more painful than the disapproval the rejection of others when they just write you off without even trying to understand you uh, without even trying to see where you're coming from they just completely reject you and mistreat you and we're hardwired as humans for community to belong and so when we don't have that sense of belonging it can be devastating so much so that we can wallow in feelings of anger self-pity despair depression and so how is it that we go from that place to a place of being able to pick ourselves up keep on going and and really look at persecution the way that God does in his word, which God says we're actually blessed when we're persecuted. First Peter 4, 12 through 16 says this, dear friends, do, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you suffer, It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. One of the ideas we're going to be exploring further in the podcast, but I'll just mention it now, is a word that just really popped out at me when I first read this this passage was surprised. It says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. I don't know about you, but... When it comes to surprises, I don't really like surprises. I'm a planner. I like to know what's happening in advance. I do like a surprise if it's a text message from a friend telling me how great I am or a surprise gift from my husband or a surprise that's going to benefit me in some way. But a lot of times surprises come in the form of extremely bad news, unexpected circumstances that just leave us reeling. And so in in a lot of ways, surprises, I have... I guess, I, I, you know, if I look back at, at my life, I, I have a lot of surprises, things that completely threw me off guard that 
in general, I don't really like surprises because I have a bad, you know, I can look back and see a history of, of things that happened and think, wow, I really wish that I could have prepared for that or I could have avoided that in some way that I was just totally thrown off guard by that. And here we're told in this passage to not be surprised. And this could just be my interpretation of this, but I love that God inspired Peter to write these words in this way, because I imagine, or it's possible that God knew just how upsetting persecution would be, not only because it doesn't feel good, but because it may not be exactly what we expected. So through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter counsels believers here on how to view what is happening to them and what to do in the midst of persecution. And he reassures believers so they can endure what they're going through. Or if they're not yet experiencing persecution, they can prepare for the future. So we can read these words here and find comfort and reassurance if we're currently going through a trial of persecution we won't be surprised at what's happening to us or if we're not yet that in the future when it happens that we're not taken off guard and completely thrown for a loop as I believe will happen if we're not aware of what the Bible says in regards to persecution and we're not prepared. I want to take away a few things from what Peter is saying here. The first thing I, I want to talk about that that I've sort of touched on a little bit with talking about surprised is that Number one, persecution is not abnormal. When we think of what we're called to as Christians, we often think of the great mission that we have. And perhaps even as you're listening to this, that you know your individual calling at this moment. Maybe it's to be an educator in the the public school system. And you know that you're called to sow into the lives of the students in your class. Or maybe you're called into some sort of ministry as far as a church where it means you're serving in a church in some capacity, whether that be as a um, ministry leader of some type or maybe on the worship team or maybe teaching a Bible class. Um, You know, we can have different layers to our calling as well. Maybe right now your calling looks like staying at home with your kids and homeschooling them. And you know that that, that's what God's called you to at the moment. And maybe there'll be more that he opens up in the future, but that's kind of your primary calling at the moment. Whatever the case, we often think of that calling and the blessings, the benefits, or just, you know, we think of those things, but we don't necessarily focus on the fact that not only are we called to do great things for Christ, whether that be, you know, investing in children or leading in some way or teaching or what using our gifts in some other way, but we're also called to suffering in our walks with Jesus. Peter reassures believers here that we should not be surprised nor think it strange when facing persecution because suffering is part of the Christian experience. Earlier in 1 Peter 2.21, it says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The this that he's talking about in the passage is suffering. All Christians are called to suffering because, as it tells us, Christ suffered for us and he left us an example. If we're truly to follow in Christ's footsteps, 
then we are not going to avoid suffering. We're going to suffer just as Christ suffered when he was on this earth. Yet if we're not aware of this truth that suffering is part of the Christian experience, we might be overcome by out of control emotions in reaction to the persecution happening to us. I love the wording here in the text. It tells us not only to be surprised, not to be surprised, but it tells us that we shouldn't think it's strange. And again, I think God really nailed it here. It's just when I read scripture, I think, wow, God knows us so well, because that is exactly what we're going to think of it when we encounter suffering in this way that maybe even right now you may be caught up in a situation. You think, why am I here? Why is is this happening? You may be even offended because maybe God asked you to do something specifically, go have a conversation with someone or witness to someone or step out in some way. And it ended very badly with the person not accepting what you're saying, maybe a broken relationship as a result. And you're thinking, why is this happening to me? It seems so strange. In fact, the word strange in this passage is this idea of people in a strange country that we're literally walking around feeling like we're out of our element, feeling like we're in a place completely alien and foreign saying, I, this is so uncomfortable. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't understand. And yet as Peter assures us to put us at ease, if this is our experience or help us prepare for what lies ahead, he says, we shouldn't be surprised by this at all. One commentator I was reading said this, that we live in a world entirely opposed to Christian values. If we are living out our faith at some point, how could, how could our faith and the world we live in not collide at some point? Because they are going to be at odds. The clash is inevitable, but you know, I, I know all these, I know that the world is so different than, than Christianity and that the values in the world are so different. But at the same time, I just, maybe if you're like me, you just have this Pollyanna type of view that like everyone is going to like you and everyone's going to be accepting and it's really not the case. And we have to remember that we're going to be persecuted if we're Christians. Number two, another idea that we can take away from this passage is we can react rightly to the persecution. If we drop down to verse 16, it says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So Peter makes it really clear here that we can expect persecution when we follow Jesus. But this persecution, he's not talking about we're being persecuted because we're acting obnoxiously, because we're doing what's wrong, because we're acting in a way that's not consistent with Christian values. He's very clear that we're being persecuted for doing good, for trying to step out, to witness to people, to help people, to to act in God's will. Maybe it's just to ask someone if they want us to pray for them or whatever the case may be. However, God asks us to step out and they are just rejecting us because of that. So he's saying here, he's making it really clear that the kind of persecution we're experiencing that he's talking about for our faith is not the kind where we're acting in a wrong way, but because we're doing what we should. And when we're persecuted, we still have a responsibility to act in a right way. And can I tell you that this is not something that we can even humanly do in our own strength. We need the power of God 
to be able to help us because there will be situations that are so challenging and so difficult and distressing that without his power, there's no way that we can make it through without reacting out of our flesh, without doing the wrong thing in response because we're so hurt and so angry. First Peter 3, 14 um, through 16 says this, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when the flames are burning brightly all around us, we may even feel like we're being consumed. It's easy to step away from our devotion to Christ and say, you know what, Lord, you've just left me here to to burn in these flames and I, I'm I'm not following you anymore. Or I don't really care what the right thing to do is here. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Yet Peter emphasizes that even when experiencing great opposition, we can reflect Jesus, that our actions, others are watching us. And even in the moment, if they don't react the way that we would want them to, to what we're saying, there may be a time where they come back to it a later time. It may be just be a seed that maybe they don't turn to Christ in the moment. Maybe they act opposed to it. But maybe at a later time that they reassess and think about it, we don't know the reasons. We just have to be obedient. And it's with gentleness and a clear conscience that we don't repay their evil for evil, but like Christ, act in accordance with godly principles, even when we're being mistreated. The third point I want to bring about from 1 Peter 4.12, that passage is we are blessed even when persecuted. Now, not only is persecution something we should expect in our Christian walk, but we can even rejoice when we're being persecuted. Again, as I've talked about in this series, because I've talked a lot about this idea of choosing to rejoice, we're not rejoicing because we're faking it and we're saying, wow, this feels so great. I love being rejected right now. We're not rejoicing because we're delighting in our suffering. It's not just some weird attraction we have to feeling pain. What we're rejoicing in is what this means in our Christian walk and what it's producing in us. I want us to look at verses 13 through 14 of this verse. It says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. I want us to look at what it's saying. It's not saying again, You are blessed because you're suffering and suffering is wonderful in and of itself. It's saying you are blessed when you suffer persecution for several reasons. One is that to the extent we suffer is the extent that we'll rejoice when Christ returns. It's going to make it that much sweeter when we see him, when we are united with him, that is going to be that much better when we've suffered what we have, because we'll rejoice all the more that we have a reprieve from our suffering. Not only that, our suffering indicates, it says, we are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Our suffering indicates we're truly a follower of Christ. It indicates the authenticity of our faith. Others see God in us. They're not rejecting us They're rejecting God, 
within us. And so it feels very personal. It feels very much like they're rejecting us, but they're, they're really rejecting God within us. And while persecution isn't what any of us necessarily envisioned or want as part of a walk with Christ, we can know that persecution is guaranteed for all followers of Christ. And while the suffering doesn't feel good in the moment is producing in us qualities that cannot be produced in any other way. Jesus suffered greatly and suffering taught Jesus when he was on this earth. Suffering is also a tool God is going to use to teach and mold us. Just this past week, I read a blog post that really spoke to me and I'll put up the link if you want to jump on BeulahGirl.com, but it was written by Kay Warren, wife of Rick Warren, who has written The Purpose Driven Life, who's a pastor at Saddleback Church, but she was writing in the blog post about freedom from fear, and I don't know what it, you know, sometimes I'll read a blog post and something will jump out at me that isn't even maybe the main gist of the message. It was actually talking about how she has experienced freedom from fear in going through some of the things she fears the most. But what I really got from her blog post was that she was sharing how she was diagnosed in 2003 with stage one breast cancer. And then she had melanoma in 2004. And she just talked about going through those struggles that through those struggles, she is a developed, again, she talked about freedom from fear, but she talked about a deeper walk with Christ the increased ability to empathize with others who are suffering, a greater anticipation of heaven. And one of these she says is, I have found through my trials a joy that comes not in spite of suffering, but because of suffering. I am in awe of the treasures, the hidden riches of joy I have found in the secret places of darkness. And of course, when I was reading her blog post, which is what stood out to me, was just this idea that she has suffered so much and yet she's able to talk about the treasure she has found in her suffering and she's able to still praise in the midst of her suffering and serve God even though she has suffered. She has written inspiring Christian books. In fact, the blog post I read was just an excerpt from one of her books. I mean, she advocates for people in Africa. She helps her husband run a successful church. And you know, it's easy to look at her and say, God, she's doing so many great things for you. Why? would you let her suffer? Obviously, she's not talking about persecution. I'm sure she has been persecuted in her life. She's talking more about a different kind of suffering. But I bring up this to say that when we look at 1 Peter 4.12, when it says the fiery trial that comes to test us, it is saying that we will have situations that are tailor-made to try us, to refine and purify us and prove the genuineness of our faith. One of the things that we can't miss about this passage is it says, not only should we not be surprised about the fiery trial that has come to test us, um, not only should we, should we not be surprised, but we should also know that it has come to test us. And so it's this idea of God allowing what he does to try us, to refine and purify us and prove Again, as I just mentioned, that we have a genuine faith. It could be persecution from others, or it could be, as Warren has experienced, fiery trials in the form of cancer or other difficulties, or it could be all of those kind of wrapped up into one. And I think 
that for many of us, that is going to be our experience is a myriad of trials wrapped up in one and persecution is just one piece of the puzzle. And not only are we being facing reduction and mistreatment, but we also may have this health issue or this, you know, relationship issue that we have many troubles kind of all going on at the same time. And these trials that are so very cruel are the very things God uses to shape us, even as they cause pain and discomfort in the moment. We can reframe our thinking and allow God to give us his perspective on our situation because otherwise our feelings of pain can cause us to push away from God and give way to feelings of suspicion, apathy, and despair. We can just say, you know, how is it that a good God is allowing this? Or does God even love me anymore? Does God hate me right now? We really have to stay connected to him because it's just too easy to distance ourselves from him when we're going through hardship. When the trial feels too severe, the betrayal too deep, the situation too hopeless, and we're tempted to give up, we can draw comfort from these words written in 1 Peter and know the suffering is part of our calling. To trust him in the midst of it means to accept his will, even if we don't like it, and stay close to him in the midst of our trial, trusting that the trial is helping to turn us into what God wants us to be. We won't be able to get there without the current trial we're in. I just want to end by reading from Streams in the Desert. It's a devotional and it provides so much comfort if you're walking through hard times. It's been my favorite devotional for a very long time. But in the entry, there's an entry called The Key of the Winds and it's for May 2nd, which was just recently. But there's a little story of a person. It's it's actually an excerpt from someone, um, Mark Guy Pierce. She just includes it in her devotional, Miss Mrs. Um, Cowman, Charles Cowman, who put the devotional together. But I want to read to you. It says, Sometimes since in the early spring I was going out at my door when round the corner came a blast of east wind, defiant and pitiless, fierce and withering, sending a cloud of dust before it. I was just taking the latch key from the door as I said half impatiently. I wish the wind would. I was going to say change, but the word was checked and the sentence was never finished. As I went on my way, the incident became a parable to me. There came an angel holding out a key and he said, My master sends thee his love and bids me give you this. What is it? I asked, wondering. The key of the wind, said the angel, and disappeared. Now indeed should I be happy. I hurried away up into the heights whence the winds came and stood amongst the caves. I will have done with the east wind at any rate, and that shall plague us no more, I cried. And calling in that friendless wind, I closed the door and heard the echoes ringing in the hollow places. I turned the key triumphantly. There, I said, now we have done with that. What shall I choose in its place? I asked myself, looking about me. The south wind is pleasant. And I thought of the lambs and the young life on every hand and the flowers that had begun to deck the hedgerows. But as I set the key within the door, it began to burn my hand. What am I doing? I cried. Who knows what mischief I may bring about? How do I know what the fields want? 10,000 things of ill may come of this foolish wish of mine. Bewildered and ashamed, I looked up and prayed that the Lord would send his angel yet again to take the key. And for my part, I promised that I would never want to have it any more. But lo, the Lord himself stood by me. He reached his hand to take the key, and as I laid it down, I saw that it rested against the sacred wound print. It hurt me indeed that I could have ever murmured against anything wrought by him who bears such sacred tokens of his love. Then he took the key and hung it on his girdle. Dost thou keep the key of the winds? I asked. I do, my child, he answered graciously. And lo, I looked again, and there hung all the keys of my life. He saw me look. Uh, he saw my look of amazement and said, 
and asked, Didst thou not know, my child, that my kingdom ruleth over all? Over all, my Lord, I answered. Then it is, it is not safe for me to murmur at anything. Then did he lay his hand upon me tenderly. My child, he said, thy only safety is in everything to love and trust and praise. I read that story sort of as a closing because I think if you're anything like me listening, that you want the key to the winds. You want the things in your life that are pleasant and easy and comfortable. And you don't want the things that are uncomfortable and are painful and are distressing. But I think like this story shows us is that we are going to have both in our lives. That is going to be our reality here on earth. We're going to have unpleasant winds that blow and work against us. And then we're going to have winds that are pleasant. And if we truly trust God as the key to the wind, he has the key to the winds. And we say, Lord, I trust you with my life. I'm going to surrender to you even in situations that I don't like or understand, even when I'm being persecuted. And trust that you know what's best for me and that you'll get me through this, that he truly will give us the strength to endure. He'll maybe even help us to understand some of the things we're going through. He doesn't always tell us the whys, but we can be truly calm and at peace and at rest even in our deepest trials and act the way we should when we rely on him and say, Lord, I need your help here. I don't even know what's going on, but I trust you. So if that's you listening or you're going through a situation right now and you're just distressed, my hope is in listening that you'll consider what Peter wrote in 1 Peter that trials are to be expected, persecution is to be expected. That it tests us, it refines us, and it's part of our faith. So let's just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. You provide for us the exact thing that we need to get through whatever situation that we're going through. Lord, many of us are walking through the fire. We're literally in the flames. There could be a job that's on the line because we've stepped out in our faith or we're open about our faith and maybe it's just become a problem for us in the workplace. There could be a relationship on the line because we've chosen to take a stand for you. There, there could be fear that we have because it's scary to take a stand when it's so much easier to just go along with what everyone else is doing. Lord, whatever situation we find ourselves in, help us to take comfort in your word, which says that we are blessed when we're persecuted. That even if we feel shame, even if we feel humiliation, Lord, you can heal us. You can give us the strength we need to endure. So we ask for that now. We ask for strength. We ask for healing for those wounds that others have done to us. We ask for the grace and composure to act how we should, even when their insults have been terrible, when the way they treated us has been relentless and unfair. And Lord, we just thank you for giving us what we need to get through every circumstance. And we trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.